Welcome to Gen Z Money, episode 23. No one can predict the bottom or the top, you know, and that's why I'm such a huge advocate of dollar cost averaging, you know, when, when it dropped like that. Yeah. I mean, as long as we've been investing, we, we were like, oh no, (laughs) you know, and we were a little distracted at the time because we were in the hospital having a baby, (laughs) but I remember sitting in that hospital room and my husband's looking at his phone going, oh my gosh, this is so bad. This is so bad. And I said, we should be buying stuff. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Gen Z Money Podcast, where we turn financial peace to your reality. I'm your host, James Bowman, and today's guest, she really brought some really different perspective to this whole wealth building journey. I had on Tara as today's guest, and we go over so many different things. We talk a little bit about crypto, Um, debt payoff, purchasing a home. We just covered so many different topics that I think everyone will find a little bit of value. She talks about this awesome, awesome way of creating a little bit of side income for those who have a little bit more time on your hands. So you guys are going to hear about that. I don't want to give too much away because honestly, this interview was phenomenal. I mean, she great. She gave so many great tips that I just think everyone is going to find at least one good thing uh, that they can implement in their life to either increase their income or lower their expenses or uh, adjust their investing approach and so many more. So I really, really hope you guys enjoy this interview. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Before we get into the interview, let's hear a quick word from today's show sponsors. Hey, Tara, welcome to the Gen Z Money Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Ah, Thank you for coming on. I found you on Instagram and you put out a lot of interesting um, information that a lot of it I agree with. A lot of it I'm still a lot ignorant on, but you're kind of like all over the place. You know what I mean? And so I wanted to bring you on. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to bring you on just to to talk about it because a lot of it is interesting, right? And it's all about the conversation. And um, yeah, I, I think you're gonna bring a lot of value. Cool. Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so Tara, all right, let's go back to little Tara, right? You know, middle school, elementary school, right? Okay. How was money talked about and viewed as you grew up? Oh, um, my parents were very much in the mindset, I think, of we don't have enough for that. Uh, they had money. I never really, I didn't want for anything, but I also was kind of always told if you want that, you'll, you know, you can work for it and buy it yourself. Um, I think my earliest memory of that was in kindergarten when I wanted this toy out of a catalog and my parents were just like, well, you can do chores for it and we'll give you a dollar every day. And after two weeks, you can buy this toy. And I think they kind of thought maybe I would 
after a day or two be like, I, I don't care anymore. <laughs> you know, like I don't want the toy that bad. And I worked every single day, you know, they had me help with dishes or set the table or whatever. And I wanted my dollar every day. Um, so I could get this toy. And I think, I don't think they realized how much that moment would impact the rest of my life and my attitude towards money of like, if you save it up, if you just, you know, if you really want this one thing and you work for it and you save up, you know, then you can reward yourself with that. Um, I think about that moment a lot and how much it's changed my money, what it is today. Gotcha. You know what? That's awesome. Because like <laughs> a lot of times you don't, as a parent, you don't want to be that parent who gives their child everything they want every time they ask, but you right. also don't want to be that parent to say no every single time they ask. So, right. No, I a- agree. And, and I'm an only child. So I think a lot of people have this stigma that only, only child, only children are spoiled and they just get everything they want. And that was not my story. I mean, um, and I didn't want for anything really, but I was told, you know, if I went to the toy store and I wanted something, they were like, yeah, do you have money? And if I did, I, I, you know, then I could kind of say, is it worth it for me to spend all the money that I have to buy this thing? Do I want it that much? Like it really made you question instead of just saying, mom, buy that for me. You know, it, it has a different, it puts a different feeling on money when you're young like that and you have to make those decisions. And it kind of shows how much you want it, right? Because a lot of times children can right. be very spontaneous. Like I want this one day. And then the next day they're like, oh, I'm <laughs> done with it. I got my use out of it. So exactly. you And up. it makes you appreciate that thing because you bought it. Like you spent your money on it. I'm going to play with this toy all the time instead of just being like, well, on to the next, you know? Um, yeah, it gave me a, a deeper appreciation for my belongings as well. That's awesome. And I think that that's really great to learn at such a young age. I mean, you learn to appreciate the things that you you work hard for, right? So as you were growing up, um, tell me a little bit about like, were there any, before you became into the tarot you are today, very financially literate, uh, were you making any drastic bad financial decisions that you kind of had to correct? in order to fix your finances? I was, I've always been super, I don't like to use the word obsessive, but I don't know what other word to use. (laughs) Like I, I've always been obsessed with like saving money. Um, My credit score was always important to me. Even like when I first turned 18, like my mom was very much like, don't get a credit card. Don't screw this up, you know, like, um, and I was always really good about it. And Um, I had a moment of weakness with an ex of mine who he was into real estate. And, and when I say that, I mean like flipping houses and stuff like that. And he knew all the tricks and how to do this and that. And at the time I I wasn't working, but my credit was like excellent. Um, I was in my early twenties and he's like, let's buy a house. (laughs) And I'm like, "I, I don't have a job. Now this was back, you know, before the house housing market collapsed. This I was part of that mm-hmm. <laughs> whole thing um, where they gave me what's called a no doc loan, where they don't care, you know, they don't want to see documents of income or anything. They, it's like solely based on your credit. Um, so I got this mortgage that I had no way of paying, you know, and he made promises. Oh, I can pay for it, blah blah blah. Anyway, it ended up foreclosing. Um, and destroyed my credit. My, my life like shattered at that moment because it was so important to me to have good credit and to have money saved and, and 
it just was complete culture shock to me. Like, what do you mean? My credit is in the, you know, 500s now and I can't get a loan. I can't even get a credit card. It was a hard lesson to learn, but in a way I'm kind of glad I learned it because it made me really open. It opened my eyes to like, wow, it's super easy to just throw it all, all that hard work, throw it away. So would you say that because you you obviously had a, an appreciation for your credit score and your savings before that, but going through such a terrible thing, like a foreclosure is, is one of the worst financial things you can go through. Did it make you value your credit and your savings even more coming out of that? Yeah, I think it did. Um, it also made me a lot more protective of it. Um because at the time I wasn't investing, I was more, I was just a saver, you know, put it in the bank, put it in the bank. Um, and I didn't realize at the time, and it, I didn't realize until very recently, actually, that that's a bad idea, like to just put money in the bank. You're not growing your money. It's just sitting there losing value. So, but because of that moment in my life of the foreclosure, I was very much like, no one can have my money, <laughs> you know, like keep it in it, keep it in a protected space. Um, and to me, like investing and things like that didn't seem protected. It seemed too risky. Um, and I didn't want to lose, you know, what I had gained. Gotcha. And I just, I, I want to put a little caveat on something you said, you said that, uh, putting your money in the bank was a bad idea. Let's go ahead and transition that language a little bit because there are a lot worse ideas you could do right with your money oh sure yeah <laughs> but saving your money in the bank was not the best idea that's right? yeah that's a better way of saying it you're right um yeah there's absolutely nothing wrong with having your money in the bank or in a savings account in fact you know you should have some money in there for emergencies um i guess i wish i would have known at the time what i know now about um passive income and compounding interest um, you know, you think you're getting a great savings rate or interest rate when you have it in a savings account. And it, it it's like, yeah, it's just sitting there losing value, especially with this inflation. Whew, so, it, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, and, I, and when I say recently, I mean, within the past three years, I realized I got to get my money out of savings account like, and put it in stocks. Um, I started investing probably 12 years ago. And for me, to, you know, so for all that time, I still had a huge chunk of my money in savings and I was going and, you know, cause I felt safe there. Um, and now I realize, you know, I could have been growing that money, investing it in the right place. And that's key. You know, I lost a lot of money in stocks as well because I was investing in bad, bad things to invest your, you know, put a big chunk of money in something that's going to get you rich quick. And that's not, that's not the way. Um, sure, it works sometimes, but more often than not, you're going to lose all your money that way. So that's why I think I was a little bit scared too. I wanted to make sure my money stayed in the bank where it wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. Joe said something awesome on episode 16 of the podcast. He said, if you have your money in the bank, you are safely getting your butt kicked right? Inflation yeah. is going rapidly. And it's, of course, in today, we're over 7% inflation. So having money in the bank is nice. It's safe, mm -hmm. but you are right. safely getting your butt kicked if you are not investing to try and beat inflation. 
Yeah, I agree. That's a great way to put it. Um, yeah, it was funny, man. Absolutely. Said it. Yeah. Okay, Tara. So let's 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 go back a little bit. So you you get this foreclosure, your credit <laughs> has boom done. Yeah. What did you do from that point on? Because that sounds like it was the turning point. So what did you do from that point on to get back on a climb in credit score, net worth, and things like that? I. <sighs> At first I felt really defeated, you know, like it's really easy to go down with your credit. I mean, so fast it happened and to build it back up. It's like this horrible climb, like you're climbing Mount Everest, you know, and it, I remember getting approved for one credit card. Um, it was, was it called credit one maybe. And it's like a credit building, uh, credit card company that will, you know, they'll approve you for like 500 bucks and, you know, and then they'll help you build your credit back up with that. Um, but it was very slow going. I, I got that. And then I had all these credit cards still with balances that I had to pay. Um, so I, I made the minimums. And as soon as one got paid off, my account would get closed. Like they weren't playing with me. <laughs> mm. um, so it, it was really frustrating for many years. Um, and also... I think it was just mostly time, you know, I think it's about seven years till your credit will drop something negative like that. So it was just a long time of me trying every little thing I could like with that, with that one credit card and, and just trying to get back on track. And then eventually, you know, when I get letters in the mail, cause credit cards and all this stuff, like it was, it was overwhelming and you just kind of, I just kind of had to wait until all of that went away because I wasn't in a place financially to be able to just say, here's the money, you know, sorry about screwing you over um, with, with credit cards and things. So I think, I think time was my, was my biggest thing that helped me, but also, um, you know, and I had little ways, like I did buy a house then after that by myself, um, you know, I broke up with that guy and <laughs> moved on and, but he did teach me a few things that I, you know, took with me with the real estate. So I, I had this one house that I went to look at um, and I really like, it was like, you know, it's like a row home. It was, the, it was but it was good for me. I was single and it, it, it would have worked, but I, I just didn't have any kind of money or any kind of credit to be able to get another mortgage. Um, and I just kept, thinking about it. And I, I'm also big on affirmations and manifesting. I don't think I really was at the time, but I, I look back and I see how my focusing on wanting that house really, I think, brought it to fruition for me. But I, I would drive home from work and I'd go past it. It was kind of out of my way. And I'd drive past it every day and just see it still for sale. And I'd, I'd stock it online, you know, and it was still for sale. And the one day I drove past, there was a sign on the door and I thought, oh my gosh, it's a sheriff sale. <laughs> so I quick, I ran over and I, and I looked at the door and it, and it was, it was something about a tax, you know, tax sale. And I knew that that meant that the people who owned it were in trouble. They couldn't pay their taxes, whatever. So I called the realtor right then. And I said, will these people work with me? And she's like, what do you mean? Like, what do you want to do? And I said, will they, will they rent to own for me? She goes, I think they will. So, you know, what I found out happened is owned all these properties on the same street he died and the woman his wife 
had no idea what to do. She got a financial advisor who ended up embezzling her money and taken off. So she was like stuck with all these properties. She couldn't pay the taxes. It was a mess. Um, unfortunately for her, but fortunately for me. <laughs> so I said, you know, I will pay. This is what I'll pay monthly. If she'll rent to own it to me until I can get my credit up enough to, to get a mortgage. And it actually worked out. Um, and she, she did it and I rented to own for about a year. So that didn't help my credit because she's not reporting it to anybody. Um, but it did help me kind of get on track. Um, my parents did help, help by co-signing for me to get a car. So me making car payments that started to build my credit. Um, and eventually after about a year, that realtor came back to me and said, um, I have some bad news here. The properties that were all linked together with your home were bought by a man in Texas and he may like take your house because you're just renting it really. And I was like, oh gosh, you know, she talked to him and told him, you know, this, this girl pays early every month. She's been amazing. Will you continue to hold this mortgage for her? And he said, yeah. So he, he actually gave me a mortgage. So we went through settlement and everything. And I bought the house and he's, he's still to this day holding my mortgage on that property. And, um, which is pretty cool. So I, like, I don't have, it's not, it's never been reported in my credit, um, but I do have this rental property now because when I met my husband, we moved in together and then we could rent my place out. So it all ended up working out. Um, and you know, it's, it's kind of cool because you can, you can do things without your credit being tip top. You just kind of have to figure out, you know, a way, your path to get to that. Um, and I did, and it worked out for me. And, and now my credit's back up to in the 800s. Um, so I think time, patience, and really knowing how to work the system in, in a way that benefits you, you can pretty much do anything <laughs> with your credit being bad. Yeah, that's phenomenal. That's a, that's a great story because there there are going to be people who are in the position you were in where they get foreclosed on and they have yeah. to start from zero. And a couple of things you said, right? A lot of the, I'm not going to say the problem because it's not really a problem, but the dilemma with credit is a lot of it is time-based, right? Oh, yeah. You mentioned this seven-year requirement for this foreclosure to drop off your credit report. And that's something that you're not going to get around, right? Like, it's just, it's there. You have to deal with it, but you have to make the best out of it. And you have to do what you can around it. So how mm -hmm. do you do it? Of course, you, you get good with your credit card. You're paying it off on time and that's reporting positively. You get your car loan. You mentioned that your parents co-signed for, and that's also impacting. So it's, and it's not going to bring you up to where you are today in 800, right. but it's the pattern that you created for yourself of on-time payments, of being trustworthy with finances again, that got you back to where you are today. So I just want to point that out, guys. It's like, Tara's a prime example of, you know, it's kind of like working out. Like you go to the gym one day and you won't see results. But if you go repeatedly for years at a time, you're going to see massive gains looking at before and after. And that, you're a prime example of that. Another thing is like, asking the question so many people are afraid to ask questions if you did not go up to that door read that sign and call the realtor and just ask you know what right. can they do you know you won't get anything if you don't ask for it so i, I love that i i'm always telling people like 
don't give yourself the answer, right? Let someone else give you the answer. Always ask the question because you'll be surprised, right? The same way you ask for the rent to own, you ask the guy like, will you carry the mortgage? And look at you now. Now you have basically a seller finance deal and a rental property. And of course, it's not getting reported to your credit, which can be a good thing, right? Because your debt to income. Can be, yeah. Yeah. And, And now you have a relationship with this guy. If he starts selling off properties, Guess what? Hey, hey, uh, you thought about selling the property. So you have so much going for yourself right now, at least in the story that you, uh, you know, you, you're telling just by starting with asking a question. That's phenomenal. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I never really thought about that, but, but you're right. I mean, I could have saw that sign on the door and just said, oh, it's going to tax sale and walked away, you know, and, and lost it. And yeah, asking the question was, yeah. It's huge. Yeah, it, it, it really, it changed your trajectory, at least from, from me looking out, it, it completely changed your trajectory. So, all right. So now the story is so much brighter, right? You, you own your own home, your credit score is finally recovered. You're in such a, you get married, you're in such a nice financial situation. Now it's a rental property where, well, let, let's, let's start from the basics. Where did you start learning about like knowing like because you okay so you talked about saving and not investing so at some point you had to learn about investing so where did that start? So my husband at the my boyfriend at the time um, invested in the stock market. You know he it wasn't like a full-time thing for him. He wasn't a day trader or anything, but he knew about it. His dad taught him. And I remember him telling me, and I just thought, wow, that is so intimidating. Like, how can you, <laughs> like, I think there's this stigma for people who aren't familiar with investing that it's really hard and it's for, you know, elite people and it's, you know, but it's really not. And I didn't know that at the time, but he's like, look, this is how it works. You know, let me show you. Um, so he taught me the basics. Um, I actually invested (laughs) the job I was at, I left and I had a 401k that I didn't even realize I had. (laughs) So, um, I actually invested some of that money and I ended up lost losing all of it, um, because of bad, bad investments. (laughs) Um, but I got a taste of like, Oh, I, I get it. Like I, I, it's not hard. Um, so yeah, he taught me a lot and I learned a lot from, you know, listening to his dad talk about it as well. Um, and then from there, I sort of just done my own research, a lot of stuff. I just Google, you know, what does this mean? What does that mean? Um, I use TD Ameritrade for my trading platform and they have excellent resources on, um, training and, and just teaching you the basics, um, not too long ago, I learned how to sell covered calls. And I totally just learned that from TDs. Um, They had like a video training, took me like 45 minutes. And I was like, Oh, I get it. (laughs) You know, like it, it seems so, so intimidating. Like you need to have some kind of (laughs) degree in, in mathematics or something. It's really not that hard. Um, You just have to, you just have to learn. And if you're willing to learn and, and take the time to figure out what the terms mean. It's like anything, you know, 
you're going to learn how to sail a boat. I don't know the first thing about sailing a boat, but I know there's all the stuff I can learn and it's out there. You just, <laughs> you go and you learn. Um, so yeah, I, I think if it wasn't for my husband, I probably still wouldn't even know anything about the stock market. So I, I have him to thank for that. Um, definitely. But now I'm, I'm, so, you know, I'm, I don't work anymore. So I'm so much more involved with learning about that, that he's kind of like, you're doing great. You take care of it. Like he doesn't even, <laughs> he doesn't even bother with it. He's just like, yeah, you, you take the reins. So let's talk about that. You talked about losing a big portion of your money from your 401k. Let's talk about that a little bit. What were you, um, what were you trying to do? Were you trying to day trade? Were you trying to deal with calls so, and puts or? No, um, the amount of money I had was, it was small for 401k. Like I said, I didn't even know I had one. It was just what the employer was contribu- contributing. Like I didn't, I didn't know anything about a 401k at the time. I had no idea what that meant. I, I mean, I knew it was for retirement and I was like 25 and I'm like, who cares? That's like so far away, which I think is an attitude. A lot of people have, um, it's not that far away. So yeah. So I got, I think I got about $3,500, um, in that account. And I, I was like, Oh, cool. Free money. I didn't know I had, um, I didn't know about a rollover. So I didn't do that. I just took the money out, paid the penalty. Um, mistake number one, (laughs) uh, got the, got the check. And my husband said, let's put it in a stock account and you can start with that. Okay. So I did that. I, I opened my TD account and I put it in there and I bought, I went all in on the company he worked for at the time. Cause it was like a penny stock. So I'm like, Oh, I get so many shares and all that. Well, it was a penny stock for a reason because the company went under shortly after and poof, all my money disappeared. So, <laughs> um, that was my first trade <laughs> with, with the stock market. So it was, it hurt. But I think it kind of, it just gave me that taste of like, okay, yeah, I screwed up, but this isn't very hard. (laughs) Very much like your credit score. It's very easy to lose all your money, Um, but it's also pretty easy to make money if you do it right. So So you you mentioned a couple of things I just want to hit on for people uh, who may not understand. The first thing you talked about was a rollover. And I just want to emphasize for the audience that if you have a qualifying retirement account with an employer, such as a 401k, 403b, or other things along those lines, um, the IRS has rules that you can roll over that amount to another qualifying plan with uh, no penalties. You could mm-hmm. you could face tax uh, a tax burden depending on what type of rollover, which of course you can consult your financial advisor on. But the point is to avoid the penalty which you also mentioned the penalty that um, I, I want to say it's te- it should be 10% penalty. I thought it was like 20, but yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it was. It was yes, I, <laughs> I, I think it differs, but I know yeah. a big portion of it is 10% penalty plus taxes. So let's okay, just say you said sense. you had 3,000. 10% would go towards the penalty and then you'd also pay taxes on that. So that's why it's a, it's an awesome thing to roll over that way. You're not facing penalties. And in a lot of case scenarios, uh, if you do it properly, you also won't have a tax burden. So I just want to clarify those things that you mentioned. Another thing that I don't want to fault you on because I really, I like giving this advice to people. 
Um, you, you mentioned that you put your money into this penny stock, but it wasn't just any penny stock, right? It was a company that your husband worked for. So you know, at least what you're investing in. And I think that's a, that's a big part of telling beginning investors, like don't invest in something you don't understand. Unfortunately, even though you understood this company, your husband worked there and you had, you know, you had skin in the game, right? It still went to zero. So it doesn't completely negate the risk, but I would say you didn't just put your money into something you didn't know and lost it. And that's why diversification is so important because you know a lot of things, right? You know, Apple, you know, Microsoft, you probably use these things on a daily basis. So I guess you didn't, you weren't concerned about diversification at that time, but you did invest in something you knew about. So yeah, and I was so, I mean, so very green. This was all like new and exciting. Like, ooh, you know, <laughs> I I knew so little about what I was doing that I just sort of was like, oh, well, I'll just take, you know, this advice. Like, let's just put it in your company kind of thing. Like, okay, why not? It's it's money I didn't know I had. So it didn't, it hurt to lose, sure. But it wasn't so painful that, you know, it wasn't like all I had either, you know? So it wasn't like, you know, oh my gosh, I put all my money into, it was just sort of bonus money that I, I discovered. So yeah, either it, way, it, it you know, I could have done much smarter things with it. Yeah. You took a risk and <laughs> I did. I, I always commend people who take risks because if you don't, you know, like it sounds harsh, but I would have rather you lost the money in that company and learned from it, learned a lesson. Yeah. Have it in a savings account, earning absolutely nothing and not learning anything in the process. So yeah. Agreed. I, I like looking at the positive, you know what I mean? I don't like all the negative. You do. Yeah. I, I love looking <laughs> at the positive because I think every failure is a lesson learned. And absolutely. I, I mean, I, I've lost money in other things too, you know, and every, and they all hurt and they all leave a a scar if you will that i'll remember like nope i'm not going to do that again because this is what happened um how how can i do it differently how can i do something that you know i I mean i've put my money in stocks that we thought oh yeah this is like the next big you know the next amazon you know (laughs) like it's you know you got to really do your research and understand what you're getting involved in don't just you know listen to something that someone said on reddit or uh, on Instagram or whatever, you know, it's really important to know what you're putting your money in, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. With that being said, so you talked about, um, getting a lot of your investing advice from your husband and his father to start off Yeah. going forward. How do you differentiate between what good knowledge is? Cause you just mentioned, like going on Reddit probably isn't the best financial advisor, right? We can, we can agree on that. Now they might, people, people are making money from it, guys. I, I want to be very clear. There are people making tons and tons of money off of it, but not everyone, right? right. They're very few, few and far in between. So how do you differentiate between getting good advice uh, from the get rich quick type of schemes? I guess experience is number one. (laughs) Um, If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, It's something that I get a lot of like little pop-ups sometimes on websites, you know, investing websites that'll say 
like Investopedia or something like that, you know, .com that is just sort of, boop, here's the next big pot stock and boop, here's, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to read that because it's probably, you know, they have all these, oh, it's going to double or triple or, you know, in the next however many months. Yeah, I, it sounds too good to be true. I'm not going to read into that much further. Um, I think it's not until, again, very recently that I realized that, and, it, and it's like just such a simple concept, like just invest in good companies, period. You know, the Amazons, the Apples, you know, that kind of stuff that has like a cult following that's not going to go away. Those are the companies, you know, that you want to, don't, don't get involved in the startups that you've never heard of from China or wherever. It's just like, sure, they could, they could go crazy. But usually when they do, they fall right back down just as fast and, you know, you miss it. <laughs> so, you know, you want to find something that's steadily goes up over time um, to put your money in, not these big, huge uh, volatile stocks um, that you could just lose your ass on, you know. Um, I, I think, I think a lot of it is just it's just kind of being a little skeptical, you know, it, I, I kind of relate it to like pyramid schemes, you know, they tell you oh, all the great, all the great things, all the great things. Um, but it, you know, underneath all that, you have to kind of do your own research and say, let, let me, let me think about it. Let me look into it. Um, and you know, sometimes you get burned, but it is another learning opportunity when, when that happens. Um, but yeah, experience is the biggest thing. I think you just you just kind of you make mistakes as you go along, and you figure out what the what the real ones you know what the real deal is and what the scams are or, or the you know get rich quicks. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I like the you know be skeptical, don't be gullible, right? So right. let me ask you this: just your personal opinion when you're going into an investment or something you might invest some money into do you go in prepared to say no or do you go in hoping to say yes hmm. it's a hard one it's a hard one it is a hard one because and that's interesting because I'm the yes I, I go into it wanting to say yes and my husband's the one goes into it wanting to say no he's very he's the devil's advocate in most of the things I bring up he's there. Well, what about this? Did you think about that? Like he's, and I don't want to, I don't want to say he's like negative, but he, you know, he's the one who brings me back down sometimes, you know, <laughs> let's think about this on the earth level here. <laughs> um, you know, so, and that's, that can get frustrating sometimes because I'm like, no, this is, this is going to be great. And he's like, I don't really know. So <laughs> I don't know. It, it's, a, it's a tough one. I, and I think he's kind of taught me to be a little more guarded um, with things that I see uh, just kind of, I, 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 you know, I get excited about stuff and I do want to go in with the yes, you know, let's do it. Um, but yeah, he, and then I hear him in the back of my head going, well, did you think about this? What are, you know, how much money do they make? Are they in debt? Are they, you know, so it's like, yeah, okay, let's look at that stuff first before we go jumping the gun here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a, a very well balanced because that's how me and my wife are. I'm very skeptical. Like I go in right into anything prepared to say no. And you have to kind of convince yeah. me to say yes. And of, of course I say yes 
often, but you have to convince mm-hmm. me first. And my wife, mm-hmm. she goes in, all you gotta do is say, hey, and she's like, let's do it. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. she's a lot more optimistic and I, yes. and we, we balance each other out. And it sounds right. like you and your husband do the same where your husband balances out your optimism with some skepticism. Or <laughs> Pessimism. <laughs> Pessimism, yeah, there it is, yeah. there it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> So Tara, what, um, so what asset classes are you choosing to invest in right now? Uh, like what is kind of your overall portfolio consist of? We have a lot. Well, we, we've been leaning towards, we do like a lot of ETFs now. Um, we don't really do mutual funds, but they're similar. Um, just because it gives you that diversification, like instantly. Um, so you have, you know, like the S and P is, is our big one um, where we put most of our money right now. And that, that is a new thing we've been doing. It is something I've picked up from Instagram. You know, there is tons of great advice out there. It's just knowing the difference between the good advice and the scammy advice. But that is something I took away, you know, the S&P has gone up since it was started. You know, it's just always gone up. Yes, it comes down, but overall the market goes up. So we've been putting a lot of our money into S&P index funds. Um, we also do some clean energy ETFs. We really, we believe in that, the future of that. So um, we, we have a couple of those. Um, real estate is another one. We have a, a one or two REITs in our, in our portfolio. And then we do have a small, I say we, I have a small <laughs> uh, portfolio of some crypto. And I say I, because it's, it's our money, but my husband is still very skeptical of the crypto world. He doesn't really understand it. I don't really understand it, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, but I definitely understand it um, a little. I put a little more thought into it and a little more research than he has. Um, so I have more confidence in it and he's very, he's, he's still, you know, on the pessimistic front of that. Um, but it is a very small portion, maybe 1% of our overall portfolio. Um, that was actually one of the last questions. Yeah. Yeah. As well as that, we have blockchain, a blockchain ETF. Um, and that it, it's like kind of a running joke. Like that's my one holding that I'm like, don't worry about it. You know, like, he's like, look at it. It's going down. We should get rid of it. Blah, blah, blah. Cause he just, I, I just think blockchain is the future and that's like, you can't change my mind. So I'm just going to stay in that, <laughs> you know, and he's, he's worried about it. And I say, just don't look at it. Don't look at it. Don't worry about it. Long-term don't worry about it. Um, but yeah, uh, I think just ETFs are our biggest thing. And the S&P is my new favorite, you know, go-to. If we have extra money, that's where it's going. Yeah, and that, I love me, the S&P 500. And uh, the only real difference for the listeners between the ETF and the mutual fund is the ETF, if, if the market is open and you buy it, it buys instantly. Whereas a mutual fund or an index fund, if you purchase it, it will purchase at the end, at the closing of the market. So that's what she meant by it's just the, it's instantaneous. You know, if you buy it at 9am, you'll actually own it at 9am. But if you buy it at 
9 a.m. as a mutual fund or as an index fund, it won't buy until the market closes. So that's the only real difference between them. And I, they have very, very similar fees if, if they're uh, the same type of ETF or mutual fund. Yeah, I know some mutual funds, you need like a, a minimum purchase, you know, it has to be $10,000. Um, some of them have a fee like right off like $50 to buy it, like a commission. Um, I, I don't, and you, don't, you can't watch it like throughout the day as a mutual fund, um, which I like to do, you know? And if, if that is something that worries people is watching the fluctuations, mutual funds are for you because you don't have to, you know, you can't see them. You just see what the closing number was and move on with your, with your day. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like that you, thank you for bringing that up. Cause I completely forgot about, they do have a lot of mutual funds and some index funds do have minimum purchases and other fees associated. Um, so you're the first guest that's come on to say that they invest in crypto. And I've talked about it in the past that like, I think crypto is very speculatory. So I personally don't call it an investment, but the fact that it is, you said it makes up about 1% of your overall portfolio, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of seems as though you're not relying on it, but you're going to, you're going to ride the wave, but you're not going to rely on it. Now the blockchain ETF would be different because that's kind of the whole, it's, when you say the blockchain ETF, I kind of think of that as like an S&P 500 for cryptocurrency, NFTs, Web 3.0, right. Metaverse, all that. Crazy. Yeah, you're really diversifying in that sector. Exactly. So it's kind of like you'll put more marbles on the ETF blockchain than you will on actual independent cryptocurrencies or uh, things that are on the blockchain. Is that uh, kind of accurate? Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't see a problem with anything you're doing. I mean, obviously it's working for you, right? So who am I to even ask judgment? Like it, it's absolutely working. Like I'm not going to, you know, put all your business out there, even though you do it. Anyway. I'm not going to put your net worth out there that you have on your, your Instagram, but it's obviously working for you. Right. And yeah. obviously you have the right level of skepticism and you're not just willy nilly the next TikTok you see, you're not putting your portfolio into that. No. And I mean, and I am very careful as to which crypto I get into, you know, Bitcoin is that everyone's heard of Bitcoin. Has everyone heard of Ethereum? Probably not. Has everyone heard of Cardano? Probably not. Um, so I have a little bit in, in all of those, you know, um, but if crypto collapses and just disappears tomorrow and is no longer a thing, the amount of money I have in there, I won't miss it. Um, and that's kind of the way I want to keep it. I don't, I don't want to put so much money in because I, it is so new, you know, it is so unpredictable, <laughs> you know, anything can happen. And I'm banking on, you know, I'm betting on that it does great and that it's the next currency, but I'm not willing to put everything into it. You know, it's just, it's too risky. Um, so if I can ride a wave up, great. But if not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, be homeless or anything. (laughs) Yeah. But I think we all have that FOMO, right? That fear of missing out. And so you're, you're satisfying that FOMO saying, look, I got, I got my toe in the water, you know, I feel the temperature. And so you are satisfying that. So what would you say to the person who is kind of betting the farm on the whole Mm -hmm. blockchain and crypto, you know, hoping that that's going to make them a cajillionaire because we hear those stories all the time, oh. right? 
Oh, yeah. I bought Bitcoin in 2012 and now I'm a trillionaire. You know, you mm -hmm. hear this stuff all mm -hmm. the time. So what would you tell that person to kind of talk them off the ledge so they can start building long-term wealth? That's a great question. And I feel like people who've already bet the farm, so as you said, um, on crypto, I think it would fall on deaf ears anyway. But yeah, I mean, I, I would try to, in, in a way that is not preachy, just kind of be like, I hope, you know, I hope you understand that this is such a new sector. And I think anyone who is involved in crypto understands the volatility of it. You know, it's, you know, it, I've never seen anything like it. You know, one day Bitcoin's at 60,000, the next day it's at 29 and you're like, whoa. <laughs> it, so if they have the stomach for that, I mean, good for them. But as far as investing everything into crypto, I would never recommend anybody do that. Um, it, I don't know how to talk someone down from that because <laughs> if they've already made the decision, I mean, they've made the decision. Um, but yeah, I think if someone, you know, I have had friends say to me, oh, like, how do I get involved in Bitcoin? Like, listen, you, I know you don't know the first thing about investing. So the, the last place you should be starting is crypto. <laughs> so, and I've told people that like, Let's try, you know, let's try something a little more baby step. <laughs> then we can talk about crypto, but it's just too, it's just too volatile for, for people who don't understand volatility. Um, you know, I've heard horrible stories of people who, you know, lost everything when Bitcoin fell, you know, years ago and they've committed suicide. I mean, it's just, you don't, nothing is worth your life, you know, so don't, don't, don't put everything you have into, into something you don't really understand. Exactly. And even, and we're saying this as if it just pertains to crypto, like this pertains to absolutely every type of investing, you know, you always want to have an emergency fund. You always want to have, you know, a rainy day fund. So you wouldn't all, you wouldn't put all of your money into real estate. If you're a real estate investor, you wouldn't put all of your money into the stock market if you're a stock market investor. So it's not just to crypto, right? But it seems as right. though crypto is the main place people are doing it, right? Because of the such high reward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but with that high reward comes that high risk. So I don't know. <laughs> it's just, you know, at my age, um, I, I'm not willing to take big risks. Like I, when I first started out, I took a lot of big risks. Um, you know, someone said to us, oh, you're young, you can still take risks. And I kind of wish that they never said that to us because we took too many risks thinking, oh, we have time, you know, and we lost money. Um, <clears throat> You know, it's not, it's not guaranteed, um, especially if you are panicky, you know, like we've many, many times years ago, you know, things would drop, sell it, sell it, sell it. And, you know, you lose money and three, four months later, it's back up where, way, you know, above where you bought it the first. So you, it's just, you really got to have the term I, I, you know, people use diamond hands. You got to have that that self-control to say, you know, yeah, it's going to go down, but if you're in a good quality company or, or a good quality S&P index fund, you know, it's, it's going to have red days. Sure. 
everything does, you know, we're going to go through bear markets and recessions and, you know, but if you're in this for the long term, you know, nobody shouldn't say nobody, but very few people get rich quick. It's, it's a long-term, you know, you got to have your sights set on 20, 30 years from now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I will say I am guilty of that also um, because I started investing into the stock market in 2020 or 29th, the end of 2019. So uh, I had my Roth IRA. I maxed it out for 2019. Then I maxed it out early in 2020. You know, I'm like, I'm going to put all my money in. This is what I learned about index funds and stuff like that. Of course, you know, in March of 2020, boy, oh boy, did we take some hard hits. And every single thing I had absorbed, all of the information I had absorbed up to that point was don't sell buy more, don't sell, buy more, don't sell, buy more. And when that 7% in one day drop hit, and then the stock market closed, because of course it has the little surge protector feature. I almost did. I I was, I was, my finger was on the sell button. Like I need to get out of this. I'm losing so much money. And this, of course, this was my first roller coaster experience. And luckily, luckily I didn't. And I'm so glad looking back and unfortunately, I didn't have a professional in my corner to talk me off the ledge. It was kind of just me and YouTube, right? And and so I, I almost fell victim to that mentality. Like, I got to get out of this. It's too volatile. I'll, buy, I'll, I'll sell now and then buy when it drops lower. Right. But, but luckily, luckily, I did not. And so if there's people out there who don't have that type of self-restraint, just realize like the fear, all of us have the fear, right? Even right. if you have a financial oh, advisor. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to, they're, they're, they're afraid too, that it's going to drop lower, but it's not the fear that should dictate what you do. It's the long-term view and the discipline to say, okay, I'm going to ride the way I'm going to look at what's happened the last hundred years, all of the dips, and I'm going to trust it. And as, as we all know, not selling at that time, it recovered very, very quickly. And it's higher than before. Right. And if you had the money to buy, I mean, no one can predict the bottom or the top, you know, and that's why I'm such a huge advocate of dollar cost averaging, you know, when, when it dropped like that. Yeah. I I mean, as long as we've been investing, we, we were like, Oh no, (laughs) you know, and we were a little distracted at the time because we were in the hospital having a baby (laughs) but I remember sitting in that hospital room and my husband's looking at his phone going, Oh my gosh, this is so bad. This is so bad. And I said, we should be buying stuff. And he's like, yeah, what do you want to buy? You know, we saw the hit that all the travel, um, the travel industry took. So we decided to buy, we, I think we got into Hilton, American airlines, uh, stuff like that, that, you know, took a huge hit and we, we profited, and this was not a long-term investment strategy for us. We we just wanted to do some trades, you know, maybe hold them for a couple months, and that's what we did. You know, they went up X amount, and we just got out. Um, and it's really hard to train yourself when you see this long candle of red on your chart to say, "Now I should be buying," because your your gut feeling is I got to get out of this because my money is going down, 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 down. And you, you just, it's, it really is just like, you have to train yourself to say, no, it's on sale and I need to buy it and bring my costs, which is up here down a little bit. 
you know, my cost basis is coming down every time I buy when I'm in the red. So, because eventually, you know, if you are in the right companies, um, it is going to come back. Yeah. And I, I, for those who do not know what dollar cost averaging is, do you mind explaining that just super quick? Yeah. So it's like, if you buy, um, you know, let's say I have um, VU, S&P, Vanguard fund, um, then I have $10,000 in it and it does a little dip. Um, I just buy some and it will actually bring, so if I own, let's just round numbers. I know this isn't real, but I own it at a hundred dollars a share. Um, and I buy some at $80 a share, it's going to bring my cost down to like 90. And then, you know, so you're just constantly adding to your position, um, whether it's up or down that way, you're kind of averaging out your, your cost basis, the amount of money that you own the stock at. Um, so that when it keeps climbing, you know, you're, your average is, you know, safer rather than buying, you know, at the top, all your money in at the top, you know, you, you just average it in over time. Yeah. So it'd be like, if you're putting, if you plan to put in $12,000 a year, instead of just putting in 12,000, you'll just put in $1,000 every single month. So if it's gone down, you can buy more shares, but if it's gone up, you buy a little bit less, but it ends up averaging out over long term. So that's what I'm a big fan of dollar cost averaging. I put in my same amount every single month. It's automated. I don't even think about it. So big fan. of. Yeah. And that's how 401ks work. I mean, it just comes out of your paycheck, goes in there and you're averaging your cost all the time. So. Mm -hmm. Which everybody should be doing, by the way, don't listen to those 401ks or evil people because they are awesome. They are awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you're getting an employer match. Take advantage of that. That's free money. Oh, yeah. We preach it all the time, Tara. Preach it all Mm -hmm. the time. So, Tara, we know that all successful people set goals for themselves, right? You, you, for example, I, I love, I love your example of driving by the house every single day because that was a goal to live in that house. And even if you couldn't go inside, even if you couldn't do whatever, just visualizing it has brought you so far and you ended up Mm -hmm. owning it. Uh, What are some of the short-term goals that you wish to accomplish within the next six months to a year? So um, since the pandemic, I actually left my job so I could stay home with my son. And um, it, I hate it. Like, I shouldn't say that. Let me back up. I don't hate it. I love it. I love that I get to spend all this time with my son. It's amazing. Um, But I hate that I don't have a paycheck coming in it's always just been like part of my identity to like have to contribute monetarily. And I feel like I'm not doing that. And my husband will say, Oh my God, you contribute every day. You know, you, you were raising our son. There's nothing more you can do, but I just like having that, that feeling of money coming in. So I've been doing, you know, surveys and focus groups and things like that to just get a little bit of cash. And so my short-term goal has been to take that money that I've been making and try to fully fund uh, our Roth IRAs with that. And I'm getting there. I'm doing pretty well, actually. (laughs) So I think I'm on track to do that. Um, And that is just so important to me to have that, that little feeling of like, I'm helping this, this family financially to get to our end goal, which is to retire early. 
because I feel like if I were working, you know, we know now that we can live off just my husband's paycheck. So all the money I can bring in is just bonus money that we can invest. And it hurts me to be like, ah, oh, I'm missing out on like a whole paycheck that I could be investing. But this little bit that I'm doing um, makes me feel really good. So that that's my goal short term is to try to fund our IRAs with that extra, you know, that side hustle that I'm doing. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper into that because I think that's a it's a very awesome and very creative uh, source of income. Let's can we dive a little bit deeper into that? So you're completing surveys and focus groups in order to and they they basically pay you. Is that about right? That's right. Um, it it's kind of like, and this is another thing I kind of discovered on Instagram where someone just happened to post like, oh, I made X amount of dollars, you know, 20 bucks this month on this survey app. And I was like, huh, let me look into that. And then it became, it, it just snowballed into, well, now I have two survey apps. Well, now I have four survey apps. And then I'm like doing surveys all day on my phone. And I was making maybe two, $300 a month doing that. But I'm like this all day looking at my phone, doing surveys. And my husband's like, hello, <laughs> like, what are you doing over there? And I realized it was sort of just like consuming my life. Um, and I was there, but I, was, I, I wasn't really present, you know? So I thought there's gotta be another way. And I, and I don't even know what made me like think, I, I don't know if I read something somewhere or someone mentioned that they do it, but I heard the term focus group and I thought, yeah, people do that. You know, people watch TV shows like a pilot and give a, you know, give a feedback or they try a product and get like, I see it all the time. Like, Oh, I got this vacuum for free because I tried it out. How do you do that? So I just Googled focus groups and I came back with probably a list of like 10 different websites. I narrowed it down to two of them that I really like. And I've been doing that since the middle of December. Um, and I've probably made about close to $3,000 since then just doing, you know, kind of like what we're doing right now, just sitting on my laptop. They show me a website that they're working on or um, a label for a product. And I just sit there and tell them what I think about it and they pay me. <laughs> so it's like kind of like socialization for me too, because I don't get out much and I have someone I can talk to for an hour. And um, basically there's no wrong answers. I just tell them what I think and they take that for what it's worth. And they say, here's a hundred bucks. So it's like, I, I advertise that I feel like on my feed a lot and I, and I'm not trying to get any, I'm just trying to help other people realize that there's like easy, stupid, easy money out there to be made. And like, sometimes I'll just like turn my laptop, tap laptop off after a focus group and go that like, I don't believe it. Like, I don't believe they just paid me to just tell them what I think. And it's not, you know, I've made between 25 and $150 for like, you know, a couple, no more than an hour of my time. So it's just like, it's almost too good to be true some days, but I'm like, whatever, if they're going to pay me to sit here and talk at them, I'll, I'll talk at them all they want. <laughs> That's awesome. And <laughs> I guess the funny part is, is like, people give their opinion all the time on social media for free. So like you could get paid 
by people right. to give your right. opinion. So like, why wouldn't you? So, and that's you- where I'm at. Like, I feel like people kind of, you know, maybe I'm imagining it, but I, I tell people about them online and I feel like they're probably just rolling their eyes at me. Like, who cares? Like, no, you don't get it. Like, it's so easy. It's too easy. <laughs> Do you have any uh, survey apps or focus group websites off the top of your head that maybe the listeners, if they want to make an extra you know, $100, $200 a weekend or so that they can maybe do that. Yeah. Um, respondent.io is my favorite. They pay cash through PayPal and, um, userinterviews.com is my other one that I use. Now they mostly pay through gift cards. Um, some will do PayPal, some will do Amazon gift cards specifically, but, um, most of them are just like a gift card that you can choose from like hundreds of gift cards, like anything you can think of. Which, you know, yeah, it's not money in my pocket, but it kind of is because I can get a Target gift card and go buy diapers instead of spending cash. So, it, it, you know, it's a yin-yang kind of thing. <laughs> but it's better than nothing. Oh, right? my God. Yeah. 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 So, and of course, guys, I'm going to be linking those in the show notes. If that's something you guys are interested in to make a little bit of extra money. I mean, it sounds awesome. And all, all you're yeah. dedicating is your time. So if you have time to sit down and watch your favorite Netflix show, or if you have time to sleep an extra six hours a day and you want to make the extra money and you need the extra money, this is definitely a profitable way to spend your time. So I love that. So what are some of your long-term goals that you hope to accomplish within the next five to 10 years? And what does the finish line look like for you, Tara? My long-term goal, my biggest one right now is debt-free. Like, and we don't have a lot of debt. Really, it's just our mortgages, which on our main home and our rental. So those are my my main focus right now um, is to pay those off. So, because those are our biggest expenses. Um, and I feel like once we don't have a mortgage anymore, um, my husband, you know, wouldn't have to work full-time. Um, and we could do a lot more. We'd have a lot more time, a lot more freedom. So those are my big ones yeah, right now. And we're focusing solely on the rental right now. Um, and I, I, I can hear people, why are you doing that? You know, your tenants pay your mortgage. I get that. My interest rate on that is high because it is held by someone privately. And we considered refinancing, but at the rate we're paying it off, it, it just, I don't think it makes any sense to do that. So we just want to get it off the books. And we're, we are, on track to do that within about two years. Um, but every kind of like extra bit of money that comes in, you know, my husband's bonus or, or whatever, we throw it at that mortgage. Um, because once that's paid off, then that mortgage payment is more income for us that we can then throw on this house, on this mortgage or invest. Um, and quite honestly, we'll probably invest that money because the return rate is going to be so much higher than the interest rate we're paying because we did refinance this house. So we do have a pretty low interest rate and we're due to pay that off in 15 years anyway. So that I'm not super worried about, but if we have extra, you know, we'll probably try to pay this one down faster, but long-term my goal is to have like nobody, nobody sending me a bill, <laughs> you know? You know, I just, I want, I really want to emphasize this, right? I think the concept of debt freedom is so, so, so underrated. Like, I don't think not many people have ever felt what it feels like to have P 
pure debt freedom to have yeah. no bill coming in the mail. I, mm-hmm. I, I felt it for an extremely short amount of time before I started getting mortgages. Right. But I, I paid off all, my, all of our cars, all of our credit cards were done. Mm-hmm. And there was a period of time. I want to say it was like six months where there was nothing. There was no bills coming in, like no debt payments. The amount of stress, the amount of peacefulness a person can get from that is daunting. And I think because not many people have really felt that, especially in our society where debt is so easily obtainable, not many people have felt that peace that it gives you. So I want to say like, there is nothing wrong with wanting to be debt free. At some point in my life, I, of course, I'm a big real estate guy and I use mortgages to buy rental properties. But at some mm-hmm. point, I'm going to pay off those rental properties, right? right? I want to be debt free. And then if I choose to go back into debt after that, that's between me and the banks. But yeah. the I, I have felt it and it's a great feeling and it's super duper underrated. And the only people who are just like, Tara, you should never pay off your mortgage. How dare you? Yeah, that is mathematical uncertainty. All that crap. Those are people who have never felt what it feels like to be debt-free. So there's nothing wrong with that. I, it's, it's, <laughs> you saw I smiled when you said two years, your rental property be paid off. Like that's phenomenal. Like you're going to own a home <laughs> that you were driving by and you had <laughs> no, all you had was faith that you're going to yep. get it and you're going to own it free and clear. Yep. So, yeah. Feels those, good. <laughs> yeah. To those people who, you know, yes, is it mathematically uh, slower building wealth? Yes. Who cares, mm-hmm. right? Personal finance is 90% behavior, 10% math. So the amount That's of discipline it. it takes to pay off that much debt is astonishing. So that is, it's such a great goal. I'm so glad to hear that that is your goal. So, all right, Tara, I'm going to get off my rant, right? So (laughs) we're going to go into the final questions of the podcast. And of course, I ask these same questions to every single podcast guest. Are you ready? I'm ready. Question number one, everyone has their own definition of what it means to have financial peace. What is your definition? Well, I think it's what we just talked about. Just no debt, having the time to do, you know, whatever we want, go on vacation, uh, just sit and enjoy our home and our yard or whatever garden. Uh, It's just something like where I can just breathe like a sigh of, "Ah, I have no, I have no worries in the world because money is a huge worry for a lot of people. And I'm no different, you know, I'm constantly calculating in my head, like, okay, this paycheck's gonna get us this, 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 how much money do we have left? It's like, I don't wanna think about that anymore. I just wanna just, there's money coming in, passive income is, is flowing into us from our investments, from our real estate, like, and I don't have to think about it. That's peace to me. That is peace. And not many people have ever felt that. So. No, and it's very sad. <laughs> It is. It is. But that's what this podcast is about, right? I want everyone to feel some form of financial peace. And it looks different for everyone. That's why I always ask that question, because financial peace for you is much different from someone else who's maybe not in the same position you are. Mm -hmm. So question number two, if there are listeners out there that want to start building wealth and have no clue where to get started, 
what would you tell them? I would tell them to get a like a mentor, you know, find someone who does know what they're, you know, does know how to start tell, that can tell you like my husband, you know, I had no idea where to start. And he was there to say, this is all you have to do. Um, pick up a book, you know, uh, it's surround yourself with the same type of people who this is, you know, you know, I, I always struggle with the, you are who you hang with thing because I hung with not the, <laughs> the people I hung out with in high school were a little different than me, but I was nothing like them. And so I don't like that phrase very much, but it is true to an extent, especially when you are surrounding yourself with these um, people with the mindset that there's a lack of everything, you know, fill, surround yourself with people who, who think there's an abundance of money, who think that, you know, think outside the box of different ways to make money, you know, and I think a mentor is, is that, you know, just find someone, even if it's just an influencer on Instagram that, you know, speaks to you that says, you know, this is, this is the way to get there. Sometimes that's all you have because you're surrounded by people who, unfortunately, this society has trained us to be worker bees, you know, and, and just get, be in the rat race. You know, if you want to get out of that rat race, you have to find like-minded people to surround yourself with, even if it is just social media. I, I love that, Tara. I love that because there's two aspects of a mentor, right? Not only are you getting the knowledge, but you're also getting the accountability. You're getting someone that's going to hold you to what you said you wanted to do and what you said you're right. going to do. And I think everybody needs some form of accountability because it's so easy to let yourself down nowadays. So it's a lot, it's a lot heavier burden when you let someone else down. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what having a mentor really does. And I love the concept that you brought up is like, if you don't have someone within arm's reach, whether it's a mm-hmm. family member, a friend, like you can use people on social media without trying to keep up with the Joneses. Right. Right. Um, a lot of people have that where they want the life that someone else portrays on social media, but that's not all social media is. Right. You have people like I consider myself like I don't post all the flashy stuff. I post knowledge and content. And, you know, I want my listeners to be able to listen to people like you who come on the podcast and learn like those little itty bitty things. And in a sense, that becomes your circle. And yeah, I yeah, I'm very grateful for the people on on Instagram uh, in my financial Instagram. You know, it's it's a totally different world. You know, it's very refreshing to see all these people with the same goals and the same mindset and the same aspirations. Because if I look out in my social circles, you know, I don't see a lot of that. Um, and I, sometimes I feel like, you know, I have to bite my tongue because I want to just like shake my friends and be like, you have to invest your money. (laughs) Like, (laughs) listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. And like, they don't care. And that's fine. You know, I guess maybe they'll figure it out one day and it hopefully it won't be too late. Um, but it, you know, it, it's refreshing to see the same, you know, these people and to be able to have conversations about, you know, things I'm excited about because a lot of people don't care, you know? <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's really good to have that. Yeah. I've, I've definitely, I can relate to that, uh, 
that feeling of having the people you're surrounded by. It's like, listen, you can become a millionaire. Just listen to me, right? Listen to me. But, but uh, you, you have come to the understanding, which I have recently come to the understanding, especially with this podcast, is like, not many people really care, honestly. Not many people really care and are disciplined enough to execute what we are trying to do. And that's fine. That doesn't mean you can't be friends with them just because you guys aren't on the same financial path because you might have a hundred other things in common with them, right? Right. So yeah, that's something that I've I've had to learn myself is like, you cannot force someone to want financial independence, right? It, It almost becomes like, once you get there, then they might get interested and then you can plant the seed. But that's all you can really do is plant the seed. You can water it, but you cannot make it grow. Right. That's exactly right. All right, Tara, third question. If there's one thing you could advise everyone to avoid doing to build wealth, what would that be? Get rich quick schemes. I don't believe, you know, yeah, I've said it before, you know, sure, it happens. You hear those stories of, you know, oh, I invested a thousand dollars in this crypto and now I'm a millionaire. Yeah. That's probably not going to be you. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I, I even these, like, even like the sports betting apps, I see these ads for sports betting and I'm always kind of like, oh my God, like, don't put your money, but that's not how you're going to get wealthy. You know, sure, you might win a hundred bucks. You might play the lottery and win ten dollars. You're probably not going to hit the jackpot. Um, it, it, it takes time, you know, and and you're not going to get rich overnight. You're just not. So um, you might get some money overnight, but you're not going to have a wealthy lifestyle where you can just be at peace. You know, <laughs> it's it's probably not going to happen. So yeah, that would, that would be my biggest thing is, is if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So just don't listen to that noise and focus on what will build you wealth. Even if it takes longer, it'll be worth it in the end. Yeah. And I I love the saying is like, it's super duper easy to get rich, but it's hard to get wealthy. And a, a part of being wealthy is retaining wealth. And the most, the people who go bankrupt the most are athletes, entertainers, lottery winners, people who got rich without gaining financial literacy or seeking professionals who have financial literacy. And so you don't, you don't want to be that person. And you also don't want to be the person who operates on the possibility instead of the probability. The things we spoke about today, like the probability of you gaining wealth over time is very, very, very high. When you see a TikTok of someone saying, this is the new crypto, or this is the new Bitcoin, right? Um, The possibility of that actually happening is very small. It might. People are making money off of it. It could. But But you really want to bank on it? (laughs) It probably won't, right? Like, that's the probability. So, yeah, I love that. I, 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 I try my best to not be that get rich quick guy because nothing that I talk about is get rich quick at all. Like it's all about sacrifices, dedication, and being intentional with your money. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you're kind of on the same wavelength with that. Yeah. I compare it a lot. Like I think of it like people, this get rich quick is like a fad diet. You know, people just want to take a pill and be skinny. 
you got to put the work in, you got to do the research, you know, what works for your body type, what, you know, it's the same concept. You can't just take a pill and boom, you're skinny. You know, you, you can't just take a pill and boom, you're rich. You can't just, it, it's, it takes the work. You got to put the work in. Yeah. I love that Tara. I love that. So if there's someone out there that doesn't believe they can reach financial peace due to their age, race, religion, sexual orientation, et cetera, what would you say to change their mind? I would say change your attitude. I mean, I, again, I'm big on manifestation and the, you know, I'm not religious. I don't believe in God. I believe that the universe, it's energy. You put good energy out, you get good energy back. And I just think if you just change your attitude towards that, you know, if you say I can't because I'm a woman or because I'm black or, or whatever, no, I can't, I can't, I can do this. Anyone can do this. Um, it's about putting in the work and learning. And if you really want it, (laughs) anyone, you know, the universe doesn't discriminate. So if you have the right attitude and you put out the right vibes, you're going to get them back. And you know, if that's your goal is to be wealthy, make it happen for yourself. It's, it's that simple. Yeah. I always say like your mindset is 90% of the work. If you can change Mm -hmm. your mindset, if you can tell yourself and actually believe like it is possible for me to achieve this, it's done. Right. The, the steps are, the steps are the steps, right? The steps aren't, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not secrets. They're not, you know, these made up concepts, like the steps are out there. All you have to do is change your mind and say like, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And then the steps will follow. So right. That's 90% of the work right there. Yep. Tara, this conversation was absolutely awesome. I got so much good, good, good information from it. Where can people find out more about you? Oh, I'm on Instagram. Um, my handle is uh, invest, manifest, repeat. And um, that's pretty much where I, where I live <laughs> for this stuff. Yeah, guys. And I will, of course, be linking her Instagram in the show notes. You guys can reach out to her, see all the amazing content that she is putting out because that's how I got in contact with her. And I love the stuff she's putting out. It's, it's great. It's great. And we need more people like you, Tara. We really do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, Tara, I'm going to get up out of here. I really hope you enjoyed the interview and I hope I can have you on in the future to not only check because I want to know how close you are to paying (laughs) off that rental property. And I want to know, you know, where, (laughs) yeah, I I, want to update on this because this is awesome. Okay, do. I really appreciate you coming on and I hope you have a blessed rest of your weekend. Thank you. You too. Later. And guys, that was my interview with Tara. Like I said, guys, she had such she has gone through such an amazing path that I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate. She's really big into manifesting what you want. Ask and you shall receive. She talks about how she literally looked at this house, you know, every single day and ended up buying it and living in it and getting what she wanted all because she was proactive. She took some steps and she, she asked for what she wanted and she was willing to work for it. So I'm telling you guys, this is all repeatable things. And of course, guys, anyone can do these surveys, right? People are literally just paying you for your opinion. 
right? If you can get on social media for two hours a day and give people your opinion for free, then you can dedicate an hour, two hours a day completing these surveys and giving your opinion and getting paid for it. Take that money, use it to pay off debt, use it to invest. I mean, there's so many different things that avenues you can do. So that was such a great, great, great um, tip from her. And I really hope people take advantage of that. And of course, I'm going to link a couple of her survey sites down in the show notes that if you guys want to start getting, you know, paid to take these surveys, you can go and click the link in the show notes to start doing that and get that extra income. With that being said, guys, of course, I do still offer financial coaching sessions. I offer free consultations to, you know, jump on a call with you and figure out if coaching is really for you, right? Maybe you just need a point in the right direction and the podcast is enough, but maybe you need someone that is, you know, go along this journey with you and hold you accountable. So of course, I offer that down in the show notes. You can click on my Calendly link and find that. And of course, if you guys don't mind whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, make sure you guys leave the podcast a rating. It, it helps this podcast so tremendously. You guys have absolutely no idea, right? So I really appreciate that. And of course, if you guys aren't subscribed to my YouTube channel, if you aren't following us on social media, make sure you guys go and do that today. But that's all for today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed. I really hope you guys got a lot of value. My name is James Bowman. And always remember, you're only as secure as your ability to perform. So spend your life accumulating assets that can perform for you. Later, guys.